Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church of Imperial Valley. We would love to help you plan your visit, so we encourage you to visit our website at www.cccciv.org for service times and our events calendar. Or get the app. You'll find the Christ Community Church IV mobile app in your app store for Apple or Android devices. I want you to picture in your mind's eye a vast battlefield filled with slain soldiers and the war is still being waged. And you have the cosmic struggle between good and evil. And off in the distance on top of a hill overlooking the field of battle sits a young man studying and watching what is happening on that battlefield. He's in an interesting place because he's too young to be out on the field of battle himself, but he's too old to be at home with the women and the children awaiting word. So he sits there perched atop the hill, watching the fight take place. And there's this billowing cloud of dust over the field of battle and the air smells of blood and dirt. He can see the battle going back and forth and back and forth and the struggle. He's there for weeks waiting to see And his job is one of the most important jobs, though he may be a young man, because he's watching to see what happens on the field of battle, and he has to take word back to his town whether or not the victory is theirs. And so finally, the battle comes to an end. He's watched his people triumph, and so he takes off running back to the city. And back in the city sits his mother with his brothers and sisters, waiting desperately for word from the field of battle, not knowing what has become of her son or her husband who is there fighting. And so this young man runs and he keeps running and he keeps running and he keeps running and they are waiting in the town with bated breath to hear what has happened. And they don't know if it's going to be word from the field of battle that we need to evacuate the city because the enemy is approaching and is going to ransack our property, or are they waiting for the gospel, the good news, the shout of triumph and of victory, that the field of battle has been won by their own and that there is no more bondage, but they are free. You see, at its core, that is what the gospel is. And if I had asked you this starting off today, what is the gospel? Your hand would have shot up and you would have said, the gospel is good news. And it is. But it is so much more than just good news. You see, the word gospel means a proclamation of victory, a shout of praise, of joyous triumph because victory has been won. And that is what the gospel is. It is so much more than just good news. The gospel is our victory. The gospel is our triumph. The gospel is the best news you will ever hear. Now think about this just for a moment. We are coming out of a time in our nation's history that is very important and we're so divided, are we not? Right down the middle. I mean, there, it's like 50-50 Right, So everyone is waiting to see what's going to happen. Is the judge going to be confirmed or is he not? What's going to happen? And based upon your ideologies and based upon your priorities is, is whether or not that news that came is gospel, good news, a shout of triumph and of victory, or if you're depressed and so saddened by what has happened, 
And I'm not here to say what is right and what is wrong. What I'm saying is that we are divided. But the gospel is different than that. Because the gospel is for all of us. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for everyone. It doesn't matter who you wanted to be confirmed or not confirmed, who you voted for or didn't vote for, if you're red or if you're blue or if you're purple, somewhere in between. It doesn't matter. The gospel of Jesus Christ is good news for all. Amen? Now, here's what our conviction is as a church, and this is why we're gathered here together, and this is why we're going to spend the next six weeks going through what the gospel is. It's because we sat down with young people from our church, and we asked them to articulate to us, what does the gospel mean to you? And there was a struggle. And you understand, don't you, that it's the responsibility of a spiritual shepherd to make sure that the people who are in the congregation understand what the gospel is, because it's the gospel that leads to salvation, It's not a fancy time preaching at the pulpit. It's not a song that is sung from the stage. It is not a good work that is done tending to the children across the courtyard in children's church. None of that will save you. All that can save you is the gospel. That is it. Your belief in what Jesus did. And so here this morning, what we're going to do is we're going to begin breaking apart, breaking down the gospel because we want it to be easily re-articulated by you the one in our congregation. Peter said this to those who would listen in 1 Peter chapter 3, verse 15. He says, you need to always be ready to give a defense for the reason for the hope that is in you. When somebody comes to you and says, your life is different. When somebody looks at the fruit of your life and says, why is there joy in your life and there isn't in mine? What is there that you've found? What truth have you discovered that I have yet to find? You need to be ready to tell them what that truth is. And that truth is the gospel. It is the power of God to salvation to anyone who believes, to the Jew first, but also to the Greek. All of the world can be saved through a simple presentation of the gospel. But if you as the church are not prepared to share that gospel, to share that truth, how can people be saved? Are you following me? So everybody hold up your hand. Other hand. No, I'm kidding. It doesn't really matter. <laughs> hold up a hand. Five fingers on this hand. What we're going to do is we're going to break down the gospel into five steps so that you can remember. Put your hands down. We're going to have a step of the gospel for each finger so that you can easily articulate what the gospel is when somebody comes to you and says, why do you have peace in your life and I don't? Why can you struggle through hardship, but when I have hardship, my life falls apart? You're ready to give a defense. You're ready to give a reason for the hope that is in you. And so today we're going to start with the first step of the gospel, and that is the realization that God loves me. Everybody hold up your thumb. And I want you to say this. Say, God loves me. God loves me. me. Right here. Boom. (laughs) Who has two thumbs and is loved by God? This guy. (laughs) Right? right? God loves me. God loves me. Before we can have an accurate understanding of the gospel, it has to begin with an accurate understanding of God's love for you. To begin with what we're going to do this week, we're going to look at God's love through the lens of John 3.16. So if you have your Bibles, open your Bibles up to John 3.16. We sang the verse today already, right? For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have 
everlasting or eternal life. It's, this, is, this is the gospel in a nutshell. This is the gospel boiled down to its simplest form, right? This, this verse encapsulates the heart behind the gospel, the love behind the gospel. And here's the thing is that if you're going to understand, if you're going to have an accurate understanding of the gospel, that's going to have to begin with an accurate understanding of God's love for you. The scripture begins, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth, and the earth was without form and void. There was nothing. Everything that you see when you look around, I don't even think I can imagine. I know I can't imagine. You probably can't imagine either. Can you imagine just a vast void of nothingness? Nothing around at all, right? And so here's at its essence, at God's essence, who is God? He created everything, right? We know he's very powerful. We know he's very strong. But if I were to ask you, who is God? How could you respond to that? It's very difficult. Isaiah has this amazing image, this amazing revelation of who God is. And all he can say is, holy. And all the angels are saying, holy. God is holy and I am not, Isaiah says. God is pure. God is holy and I am not. I am an unclean man and I dwell amidst the people of unclean lips. I'm not right, God is right, God is holy. In the book of Revelation, you see the elders bowing down and on in reverence before Jesus and they're crying out, worthy is the lamb who was slain, worthy, worthy. So we see God is holy, but God is also worthy and God is full of glory. And so maybe those are some ways that you could describe God. But when John, the apostle John, was challenged with how can I describe God to you in a way that will really make sense, his description, his definition of God was simple. He said, God is what? Love. If I'm going to try to accurately describe to you who God is, I have to start with the fact that God is love. At his core, at his essence, his main trait, his main characteristic would be that of love. He created everything you see out of love. He had so much love that he wanted to bestow upon his creation, so he created. He needed to share this love. He wanted to give this love over to someone, so he created all that you see. And on the sixth day, he created man, and God's word says, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. And so God left his fingerprint on you. He created you in his image a triune God, Father, Son, Spirit. He created you a triune being, body, soul, spirit. God's fingerprint was left on you. And God says, what I've made, it's good. This is a good thing that I've made. Let me read to you an account from David speaking about how God had formed him. This is in Psalm 139. For you formed my inward parts. You knitted me together in my mother's womb. I praise you for I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Wonderful are your works. My soul knows it very well. My frame was not hidden from you when I was being made in secret, intricately woven in the depths of the earth. I was being formed by you, he says. The word in Hebrew is created. When I was being created by you, you were knitting me together and you, if you're sitting here this morning, if you're breathing, if you're listening, if you're watching, if you're reading with me, you have been knitted together by God because of his love. And he brought all of the pieces you together in such a form and fashion. You're an intricately woven tapestry of blood 
and flesh and muscle and skin and emotions and feeling and intelligence and spirit. He has made you and he put his effort and his attention on you and made you even in your mother's womb. Listen to what Paul wrote to the church in Ephesus. He says this in Ephesians chapter 2, verse 10, for we are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works. We're his workmanship. He put his effort and his attention into your creation. That's literally what it means. So if you're taking notes, write down first note, God's love is a devoted love. God's love is devoted. God's love is devoted to you. He wanted there to be an object upon which he could lavish somebody with his love, and so he made you to love you. That is why you're here. He made you to love you. That word workmanship, it's poema in the Greek, and, and oftentimes, you know, teachers will say, see, it's, it's like you're a poem that God has written, but it's so much more than that. It's true in the sense that you were his creative thought, and he took you from a creative thought and made you something of matter. He formed you in your mother's womb. He wove you together. The word, though, it's so much more than just a poem. It's creativity that becomes an object. It's placing and expending your energy and your effort and your focus on something. And so what this scripture is saying is that you are the point, you are the object of God's focus and attention, his love. That's who you are in Christ Jesus. You are his workmanship. You're the object of his affection. Does that not blow you away? I mean, I, I don't know. You guys are not shocked by that. Like, I think of who I am, and I know who I am on the inside. And to think that that's how God views me? Listen to this. this Zephaniah chapter 3, verse 17. The Lord your God is in your midst, the mighty one who will save. He will rejoice over you with gladness. He will quiet you by his love. He will exult over you with loud singing. That word quiet means to engrave, to inscribe, or to craft. Literally what this verse is saying is that God is going to craft you by his love. He's putting you together by his love. And if you feel broken and shattered and in pieces when you walk in here this morning, this is the hope that you have. This is a word of encouragement from God's word for you. This is not what Pastor Chris says. This is what the prophet Zephaniah wrote so that you would hear it today, that God is working in you through his love. He's not finished with you yet. He will quiet you, craft you with his love. But then it goes even a step further. And this scripture says in Zephaniah 3.17 that he's going to rejoice over you, sing over you. He's going to be singing over you. I mean, we, we sing here, right? And we give our worship to God and we sing these songs and they move us sometimes to the point of tears. They move us to raise our hands in, in submission and surrender to God. But to think that God is looking down on you, crafting you with his love, and that he is singing over you right now, rejoicing over you, dancing over you, shouting over you. That's what the scripture says. That's the heart of our Father. Now, how, how many of you in this room are parents? Raise your hand if you're a parent. If you've been blessed, lots of parents, right? Can you put your hands down? 
Those of you who are parents will understand what I'm saying. Those of you who are not parents yet, one day you're going to understand what I'm saying. But do you remember the first time you held in your hands your firstborn? I remember holding my son Caleb for the first time and looking down at his little face and thinking, man, those are my lips. Look at that's my nose. Look at those, even those ears, right? Luckily, he didn't get my hair. He's got really good hair, right? But I saw this little creature that was a part of me. And I looked down at him, and I saw myself in his eyes. This is the kind of devoted love that God has for you. He sees a little bit of himself that he left behind in you. You were created in the image of God. You were made according to his likeness. And when God looks down from his throne and he sees you, there's a part of him that's like holding that firstborn child for the very first time and you see yourself in the baby's reflection. This is God's love for you. Now, I I see myself in my daughters as well. My daughter, Kyla, she's my oldest daughter. She has this thing in her character where she loves a challenge. And she's courageous and she's brave and she does difficult things. And sometimes I take a step back and I think, why is she doing this to herself? She doesn't have to do this thing. She doesn't have to put herself out there like that. But then I think of myself and I think, you know what? There's a little bit of your character in her in that. See, I I look at a problem, and I don't look at a problem and say, there's no way to fix that. I look at a problem and I say, how can I fix that? And that's what's going on in her. She sees that. I see a little bit of myself in my daughter. My other daughter, Abigail, her name means the father rejoices over. And I do. I rejoice over my little girl, Abby. She's the little princess, and everybody knows it in the house, right? But she has such grit and determination like she's so focused on tasks that are ahead. I, I, she's, she's been like kind of been my little buddy lately and I just love it. I see myself in my daughter. God looks down right now at you, his creation. There's a part of himself he left in you and he looks down and he looks into your eyes and he sees a reflection But see, here's the thing is God is not the only one who sees his image in you. The enemy sees that as well. And what do you think it does to the enemy, to Satan, every time he looks at you and he sees God's image all over you and he sees God's grace all over you and he sees God's love all over you, he despises that image in you and he will stop at nothing to destroy that image. This is why you suffer. This is why you struggle. This is why you wrestle because the enemy wants to distract you from that love. I would do anything for my children. Those of you who are parents understand that, do you not? Anything for my children. Listen to what the scripture says. Again, I love David's writings. I love his prayers. This is what he said in Psalm 139, verses 17 and 18. How precious to me are your thoughts, O God. How vast is the sum of them. If I would count them, they are more than the sand. That's how much you think of me. If I should count how often you think of me, they are more than the the sand. Now, listen to this. In this jar right here, 
there's a cup, eight ounces of sand, 250 grams of sand. How many grains of sand here do you think? How many grains of sand are in this cup of sand? Somebody raise your hand. Give me a, give me a guess. Yes. 75,000, all right. That's where I stopped counting yesterday because I got tired. But there was still more left, right? Now, obviously, I didn't count this. I, I, how many people love Google, right? Google's amazing. And I, I, I just Googled in how many grains of sand are in a cup of sand. And boom, there's the answer, right? I don't know how people do this. I don't know where this information comes from. And I don't know if I should trust it, but I'm going to go with it today, OK? So in this one cup of sand, 2 million grains of sand, 2 million. Now, think about this just for a moment. This scripture, Psalm 139 says, if I should count the thoughts you think towards me, then number more than the grains of sand, not in the little flask or little bottle that I brought, but covering the entire globe. That's how much God thinks of you. That's how captivated he is when he looks at you. you. You've got his attention. He is watching over you. That's the love of a father. That is a devoted love. But you know what? It doesn't stop there. Listen to this. Psalm 56, 8. You have, you have kept count of my tossings. You put my tears in your bottle. Are they not in your book? That God watches you as you struggle and you toss and you turn at night, struggling with your issues, struggling with that decision, struggling with that pain, struggling with that betrayal, struggling with that temptation. God is watching you in that place and he's noticing. And then the psalmist wrote that you've kept my tears in your bottle. And so here's the thing. I can't answer this question for you, but I'm going to pose the question. I don't know how many tears this represents for you. I don't know how much heartache, how much shame, how much guilt, how much betrayal this represents for you. But the scripture says this about it, that he keeps a bottle with your name on it. And he notices every single time you suffer. And then the scripture says that he has a book. And that this book is like a journal that has your name on it. And he takes note of those times when you're suffering he keeps it, that you have his attention. David would pray this. He would pray thus. He would pray, God, please keep me as the apple of your eye, the object of your affection. That's what I want to be. And that's what you are this morning. How many of you know what a helicopter parent is? Raise your hand if you know what a helicopter parent is. How many of you know a helicopter parent? A helicopter parent is called a helicopter parent because they hover over their kids all of the time right? Their kids are never outside of their sight. They're always making sure they don't want them to get hurt. They don't want them to get in trouble. They don't want them to, whatever it is. So they hover. And because they hover, they're called helicopter parents. Listen to this. This is how intimately God knows you. Psalm 139, oh Lord, you have searched me and you have known me. Does that sound attractive to anyone here this morning? Do you feel maybe like there's no one who understands me? There's no one who gets me? Well, the Bible says right here, you know what? There is one person who understands you, one person who gets you, right? Lord, you have searched me and you've known me. You know when I sit down and when I rise up. You discern my thoughts from afar. You, it's like you hear my thoughts. 
You search out my path and my lying down. You're acquainted with all of my ways. Even before a word is on my tongue, behold, O Lord, you have known it altogether. You know what I'm going to say before I say it. Do you have anybody that you're close enough with that you can actually complete their sentences for them? right? That you know them that well. Well, this is like another level, another layer of that, because God knows the word that you're going to speak before you even begin to speak it. That's how intimately he knows you. That's how his attention is focused upon you. Thanks for tuning in for Love, Live, Lead, the broadcast ministry of Christ Community Church in Imperial Valley. Christ Community Church has campuses in El Centro, Calexico, and Brawley, with services in English and in Spanish. Your kids are going to love our kids' church. Plus, we have a lively youth ministry and young adults group. You're welcome to call the church office at 760-337-9400 with your questions. Or leave us a message on the Christ Community Church IV mobile app, the cccivorg website, or direct message us on social media. We are really looking forward to meeting you. So again, the website is www.cccivorg or call 760-337-9400 so we can plan your visit.